Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. SEC Media Days are underway. It's talking season, as Steve Spurrier used to say, and uh, here to talk about it, uh, myself, Blake Topmeyer, alongside John Adams. John, we're going to have a couple episodes this week. We'll, we'll revisit after we've heard from some more coaches. But as we record this on a Monday afternoon, we've heard from from a few coaches. And we may get into some of what we heard on the coaching front later. But first and foremost, John, Greg Sankey started things off with his State of the Union address. Normally, Sankey's talking points really aren't much fodder. He usually gets up there and quotes from U2 or Bob Dylan or something and extols the virtues of the SEC's equestrian programs and pounds his chest a little bit, and that's that. But today, I thought was maybe the most important uh, speaker on stage, maybe all week, because we have conference realignment, we have playoff talks, we have NIL. What did you think in particular about what you heard from Sankey on conference expansion? Because he made it seem like the SEC really isn't all that eager to expand past 16 teams. What do you think of that? Well, I, I think Greg Sankey always wants to leave you with the impression that the SEC is above everybody else. And it doesn't really matter what these other little programs do and these other little leagues. We're the SEC, and it just doesn't matter about anybody else. And he's speaking from a position of strength. But, I mean, who's he kidding? What if the Big Ten goes down and gets Miami out of Florida and adds Notre Dame? I, I mean, how long would you just sit by and not do anything and let a league surpass you? Because it wouldn't be impossible if you got enough powerhouse programs to move past the SEC, to be bigger, and, and not measure so much in draft picks or recruiting rankings or national championships. But how much money is your TV package worth? And if if uh, the Big Ten got Notre Dame and Miami, that would be pretty significant. But right now, I think it's okay to say what he's saying, but does anybody really believe that the SEC is not going to add anybody else at some point? I just don't believe that. Well, I have a little bit different take on this, John, so this is good, because I, I do believe it to to an extent. Really? Yeah, okay. I think you I think you added an important caveat, and I want to get to that in a minute. But but just off the jump, I do buy this, because you heard Greg, Greg Sankey talk about some of the things we've talked about on this podcast in terms of geographic fit, culture, identity. And he, I thought he made it very clear that the SEC is not going to betray that just to add more teams. So sorry, Oregon. Sorry, Washington. If you if you want in the SEC, I think everything we've heard, you know, from from the commissioner. Yes, I realize we college sports leaders are not the most trustworthy folks out there. But if we we combine Sankey's comments with history, I don't think the SEC is going out to to Oregon. And I think from a geography and culture perspective, these ACC teams would be a good fit, some of them, for the SEC. Teams we've talked about before, like Clemson, Florida State, maybe even Virginia Tech or North Carolina. However, the ACC has that grant of rights deal through 2036. And according to an analysis from our colleague Dan Wolken at USA Today, an exiting ACC school, if they were to leave now, could owe up to half a billion dollars because of that grant of rights contract. 
And we heard from Sankey this morning before he made his main address on the SEC network said, we don't want to get in the middle of that Granorite deal. Hmm. And so you notice, you know, the big twin, the, the big 10 raids from the PAC 12, well, they have an expiring grant of grant of rights deal. The SEC raids from the big 12, they have an expiring grant of rights deal. So I do think that that makes those schools a lot more vulnerable than the logical additions for the SEC, uh, which would be teams like Clemson and, and Florida State, which are protected by the ACC grant of rights. But I think you added a very important caveat. If Notre Dame tips to the Big Ten, if, if they can strong arm Notre Dame to give up their independence, you know, maybe maybe there's a future of the college football playoff in which, you know, Notre Dame's independence is punished, which has never been before. They've always had a fair shake at the national championship as an independent. If they can tip Notre Dame to join the Big Ten, I think all bets are off and everything I just said is out the window. And then I think there's going to be a flurry of activity by the SEC because that's that's the one thing that I think could move the SEC into immediate action would be Notre Dame. Well, we, we've talked about this extensively, and I think you've made a really good point about maintaining sort of some sort of a geographic integrity and adding schools with a somewhat of a similar mindset. And Tennessee's done, I mean, the SEC has done that to a degree, but, and I think it could still do that. Even if the ACC is off the table, I mean, you know, I've, I've lobbied hard for all those Texas schools, those big 12 schools like Oklahoma State. I mean, if you could get – and if the SEC could get Notre Dame, it's taken Notre Dame. You know agreed. that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Even though it's completely different and doesn't fit the geographic fit, that that is what we've discussed. That's the one big exception. You're going to add two teams, but, see, I wouldn't hesitate to add Oklahoma State. That way you could stay out of this – the ACC quagmire with these – long-standing deals and i still though i wonder about that that that's the thing that that lawyers can debate um probably better than sports columnists <laughs> good so good, good point <laughs> yeah so we don't know how that'll play out but i uh, who knows how it'll play out but again the sec is 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 still in a really good position right now and i think the goal of the SEC is to maintain some sort of uh, to maintain some sort of geographic integrity, and to have the best football product. Might not have the most TV shares, but to have the best football product, and it has that now. And I think it can maintain that unless the Big Ten perhaps added Notre Dame. You know, it's going to be interesting. I thought to see how Greg Sankey addressed the Big Ten's expansion. We heard from the, the Big 12's commissioner last week, Brett Yormark, and, and he said like, well, we don't pay attention to what other conferences are, are, are doing. I mean, baloney. Come on. That's that's not believable. Meanwhile, he was spinning a sign, a metaphorical sign out there pointing to his storefront saying, hey, come join the Big 12. We're open for business. Like, absolutely, you're reacting to the market if you're the Big 12. But you know, I thought Sankey, he did address it. He didn't ignore what was going on in the in the Big Ten, but as you might expect, the SEC is known for its bravado and its hubris. And Greg Sankey's the front man, and he was not backing down here, conceding that uh, you know it's losing ground to the Big Ten. He was asked directly, "Okay, so the SEC, you you added Oklahoma and Texas, and now the Big Ten is countered with USC and 
and UCLA, did you get the better end of that deal? And you know, without hesitation, he said yes. Yeah, I thought there was also maybe a veiled barb at the Big Ten when he said something to the effect of, we're not going to let our television partners dictate our expansion future. I thought that could be seen as as a barb of, well, you know, okay, the Big Ten's get into the Los Angeles television market, but we're not going to expand just chasing television markets. Uh, we saw the Big Ten do that previously and going up to Rutgers and getting into that Northeast expansion market. But what do you think about this comment of, of Greg Sankey flatly saying, we got the better end of this expansion deal and getting Oklahoma and Texas over, over USC and UCLA? Oh, I was fine with that. I thought some commissioners trying to be commissioner-like hmm. wouldn't have said that. But again, the SEC is in a different position. It's in a position of strength. And and I think it's okay for Sankey to remind people that, which he did. I mean, I don't think there's any question. Oklahoma and Texas, uh, right now, Texas football is, be- is not great, but it's better than UCLA's. Oklahoma football hadn't won a national championship in the last few years, but it's making the playoffs, and it's better than Southern California, which hasn't been the same since the 05 season, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, I think that's fine. I think he's, he's making a point and, and I really, I mean, when you look at the SEC and compare it to everybody else, it stands out. We talk about the draft, NFL draft. We talk about recruiting rankings. Uh, we, we look at national championships. The SEC's won in three in a row and it wasn't that long ago that it won seven in a row. So there's no disputing that it's the number, number one conference. And I thought it added something w- during the COVID year, 2020. And I give Sankey credit for that. I mean, these other schools didn't didn't really know what to do. And the SEC said, we're, no, we're going to play. We, we don't know what will happen, but we're going to play. And then, I mean, if things change, if things worsen, we could we could curtail the season at any point, but we're going to play big 10 and pac 12. They're just over there wobbling around. And it was almost like, Oh, I guess we better play now. I mean, they looked, they looked really weak compared to the sec. That's a great point. I think 2020 emboldened the sec. If that's even possible. I mean, it was already a pretty, uh, pretty bold conference and certainly, uh, uh, a conference that thought very highly of itself before that. But I, I think that pandemic season uh, further emboldened this conference. And I think, too, you know, conference commissioners have always looked out first and foremost for their own league. But there, I think, historically has been some level of, well, we're going to work together when we can on stuff. And, um, you know, that didn't happen in 2020. We, we saw the Big Ten and Pac-12 go their own way and and say, we're not going to play this fall. And the SEC said, who cares about you? Um, we're not following your lead. We're playing anyway. And then, of course, the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 did a 180 and, and came back to the table. And we had the alliance and, and it all sort of spiraled from there. And now I think certainly there's no question, you know, every conference commissioner is looking out for what's best for their own league and could give a hoot about anybody else. But speaking of the alliance, John, because I thought reading in between Sankey's comments reading in between the lines on Sankey's comments on the future of the college football playoff, it seemed to me 
that he may not be real open to any playoff formats proposed that include automatic bids for conference champions. Of course, we know the backstory on this. Sankey was among the conference commissioners who was in favor of expansion to a 12-team playoff that included six auto bids and six at-large. But all along, Sankey has said he prefers models in which all the bids are decided by an at-large process. He said he would go for an eight-team playoff, but only if that eight-team playoff was decided by at-large bids only. He's been a, a steadfastly against an eight-team playoff in which five or six of the bids would go to conference champions. He likes those at-large models because, of course, that allows his conference to get as many bids as possible, and you don't have to worry about auto bids going to some of these inferior conferences. But what do you think now? What if the 12-team playoff that Sankey and others proposed last year comes back up? 12 teams with six auto bids and six at-large. Because I think reading in between the lines here, it makes me think, I don't know if Sankey's going to go for that in the future. You could bring back the same playoff proposal that got shot down this winter, and I don't know that he's going to compromise anymore and say, yeah, I'll be okay with six auto bids and six at-large. I almost think the only way the SEC gets on board with a playoff, you know, in this after this current contract ends, is if the entire thing is at-large bids, allowing the SEC to get as many spots as possible. You know, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about that, but I guess it's conceivable based on what he's been been saying. He's been consistent about that. See, I really don't agree with that that line of thinking because there are other factors involved. I think an, a conference champion, if you're going to say these conferences are somewhat equal, if you're going to have the power five schools and set them apart from everybody else, then to me, their league champion should get an automatic bid. They should but, be I don't, but I don't think Greg Sankey feels those, those I, leagues I, are equal. <laughs> well, well, that's a good point. If you think they're unequal, then that's a completely different story. Because what... The reason I liked automatic qualifiers getting in is because then you're not as affected as much by your one loss record. If you're in a really tough league like the SEC and you go nine and three, but you win your championship, well, you're in. And that to me is the way it should be. So, yeah, I wonder if Psyche got annoyed about all that. I kind of think he did. That was kind of his idea. And it got, and it, we all thought it was coming to fruition. It it seemed right on the brink of happening, and then boom! No, we're not going for that now. We'll we'll table that. We'll talk about that later. And it seemed as though it was best for all concerned, and and would solve a lot of problems. And so I think he probably got frustrated over that. And you're right. Maybe now say, no, you had your chance. Now we're going to say how it should be. Yeah, you know, I think if I were to throw a dart here and try to predict something in the crystal ball future of, of the college football playoff, I guess. I think at this point, I would probably say the eight team format, but with only at larges maybe is what wins out. I don't know if we'll re- see a return of this 12 team conversation. I think it might grow from four to eight, but I don't think it's going to be where five or six conference champions get auto bids. I just don't see a world where the sec is going to go for that. That, that limits them to two or three teams, which they can already get two teams in a four-team playoff. So they don't need to get on board with that. So I, I think we do see 
I think we do see the SEC remain in the fold. I know we've heard the idea floated, and we've even discussed the possibility of an SEC-only playoff. I don't think it'll come to that, but I do think Sankey is not going to give in. I think he's going to get what he wants, which is an all-at-large format. And I think, you know, I guess if I were projecting this, I think it's going to be an eight-team playoff. Top eight teams get in. Conference champion or not, doesn't really matter. Blake, though, I think what we also could see here is it could be the SEC versus everybody else. And maybe everybody else is saying, well, we're just, we're not letting them run this thing. We've got a stake in this too. I think the real wild card here is the Big 12. Whereas Greg Sankey says, hey, we don't need to do anything. I think the Big 12, in terms of expansion, I think the Big 12 does. And if the Big 12 and what's happened to the Pac-12, a union of those strong, of those conferences, I think could be pretty good. And I think we would we would end up, I still think we're headed toward three really large conferences. I think that's where it will, how it will play out eventually. Even though Sankey says, hey, we're not looking to expand right now. I think the ACC should be really concerned. And maybe they want to say, well, I don't know about this deal about <laughs> the mid 2030s about, you know, you're obligated to stay in here. It, it needs to do something. I mean, maybe it needs to expand, but an alliance between the ACC and the, and the big 12 just, just doesn't seem to fit at all. Yeah. And I don't know that that moves the moves the media rights needle so no. much either. I mean, you, you're bringing more people to, to cut up the, the pie into smaller pieces, but I don't know that you're growing the pie by, by all that much. I mean, that's the, that's the balancing act here. I mean, if, if conferences just want to expand a league like the sec and the big 10 could get as big as it likes, but what you're ultimately trying to do is, is grow the pie. So you're not just adding more, you know, dinner plates around the table and, and cutting that thing into smaller slivers. And that's, I think there's only so many schools out there that would help you do that, like a Clemson, like a Florida State, like a Miami or Notre Dame. And so that's why I'm interested, you know, what what becomes of, of schools like that and just how ironclad is that ACC grant of rights. And, you know, I think for the health of the sport, I hope you're right, John. I, I hope we get into a future where there are at least three you know, power conferences, mega conferences, super conferences, whatever you want to call them. Uh, I don't know that it's great. I don't, I don't think it is great for the health of the sport for it just to be the SEC versus the Big Ten. I mean, that's that's the NFL model. It's worked great for the NFL. I think it would work great for the Big Ten and the SEC, but it's not going to work great for anybody who's not under those umbrellas. So, yeah, I, I hope it does. When when all the dust settles, there are at least three, if not four, conferences of of relevance, but okay, let's, let's, let's throw a date out here is you seem to be maybe more on board with the idea that the sec is going to expand faster. I'm, I'm maybe being hoodwinked by Greg Sankey's comments here and saying that they're in no hurry to expand. So what's your, what's your date? When will the, when will the sec next announce that it's adding new members? How far off into the future do we got to go here? Uh, next month, maybe. <laughs> August 2022, the SEC will I, I announce just, I, I, I just have no idea. I just, I just think there's 
too many moving parts here to know what's going to happen. So I, so I'm not going to let you pin me down to, to a date. I just can't do that. I, I don't know. I had no idea last year when Oklahoma and Texas all of a sudden said, Hey, we want to join the sec and the sec says right on. And here we go. Uh, so I, I have no idea. I just think the way this is moving, there will be more additions. And I know those, those seemingly ironclad uh, departure clauses in that ACC contract could throw a wrench in things, but I could just see that changing too. Yeah, you how got, about that? The, the future of college sports will be decided in part by how good of a lawyer can you hire <laughs> to get yourself out of contracts. I mean, that's, that's the way of the world these days, right? Uh, yeah, pro and college. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, one more thing I want to unpack from from Sankey's address, John, before we move on to the, the dancing man, Brian Kelly. He revisited this conversation about the future of conference scheduling. As we know, divisions are going to go away when Oklahoma and Texas join. That's It's not been voted on yet, but it seems all but certain divisions are going to go away. It's going to be one 16-team league. And there's ongoing debate within the conference about whether they want to do an eight-game schedule or a nine-game schedule. But today, I think he was trying to make a joke, but I wondered if there's at least a shred of truth in this. Sankey even floated the idea of, well, maybe we'll do a 10-game conference schedule. And I thought, well, maybe there's something to this. I know you know, struggling programs, or if you're a coach at a, at a program that historically goes like seven and five, you're not going to be real eager for a 10 game conference schedule. But I know you've been on board with that for a while, John. And I like the idea of more conference games too. To me, more conference games means more money. Uh, you know, the TV execs would like it regardless of what Sankey says about not letting TV decide his future. So, and I started thinking about how, how could you mock this up where you could do a 10-game conference schedule within a no-division format. What you could do, you could have every team have five designated rivals that they would play every year. And then of those remaining 10 teams, you'd play five one year, five the next year. There you go. Without much hassle, you could have a 10-game conference schedule. What do you think? Was Sankey joking, or is there hope still left for a 10-game SEC schedule in the future? I have never got any indication that the SEC would go to a 10-game schedule, even though I've been a huge proponent of it. Uh, the idea of what you just presented, thats I love the simplicity of it. I, I mean, they try to overcomplicate everything. That would be so easy to do. And really, when you think about it, you believe you're better than everybody else. And all the data says, yeah, you are better than everybody else. Then why wouldn't you want to showcase your game, your conference more often? It just makes more sense. And do you really think if the SEC went to a 10-game conference schedule, that would affect its playoff chances? You no. know you're going to take the SEC champion. You know that. And even if you had 10 conference games, I still think you in a lot of years you would have two SEC teams in, the, in a four-team playoff. As long as you stay with the four-team playoff, uh, you can't expect to have more than two. 
and you can't expect to have two every year, but I think there's a good chance with the SEC, even if it added a loss to some teams that were in the running, it also would add a strength of schedule. So those could kind of cancel each other out. So I think that would be, I hope he's not kidding. And and why would he say that? I, mean, I don't know. You know, sometimes Greg Sankey just tries to be funny or tries to, you know, offer some pithy remark. But, I mean, normally he is very calculated and he, he has a message in mind. But every now and then he just says something because he wants to show you he's the smartest guy in the room. And, and I wondered if this was that just, hey, look at me. I'm saying something kind of crazy here. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm, that, I'm like you. I hope I hope there was something to it because I I, I, I don't think I think you're absolutely right. It, Playing 10 conference games would not hurt the SEC's chances of gobbling up postseason bids. The strength of schedule is going to be so great. Uh, you know, those doing the rankings are going to value that. It, it, in an 18-playoff where all the bids were determined by at-large, I think the SEC could play as many games as it wanted and still would have a great chance of getting three teams in, three to four teams in in most years. In a 12-team playoff, if you had all at-large bids, I think the SEC could get five or six teams in in a lot of years. It doesn't matter how many conference games you're playing. So, and, and the other thing to think about, John, if the SEC would do this idea of an SEC-only playoff, well, then playoff access doesn't matter that much. You could play as many conference games as you want because it's your own playoff. So you don't have to worry about being penalized by a playoff selection committee based on your win-loss record. So... I don't know. Maybe there is a sliver of hope for a 10-game conference schedule. Probably not, but uh, we, we can cling to that. Yeah, we can. Maybe it was foreshadowing, or maybe it was just a poor poor attempt of uh, Sankey trying to be kind of semi-controversial or flippant when he's generally anything but. Changing gears, John, we heard from a few coaches on Monday and, and will later this week rejoin you for another episode and packing some more of what we hear from these coaches this week in Atlanta. But uh, I thought Brian Kelly was, other than Sankey, sort of the center of attention on day one at Media Days. And you just knew he was going to get asked about that southern accent, that phony southern accent that we heard in the winter and, and we both roundly mocked. And I don't really shy away from any opportunity to do that. But, you know, Brian Kelly played it off. And and more to the point, when asked about cultural fit, he said, quote, fit is about your ability to run a program at a high level. And, you know, didn't really talk about how he's not from the South or, or what have you. And and he did mention, hey, if 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 the South is about good food and, and uh, good football, then maybe I am a fit because I like both those things. So, you know, you could see Brian Kelly's trying to downplay the fact that he's that he's not a geographic fit uh, and trying to play up the fact that, hey, if I win football games and run a good program, the fact that I'm from Massachusetts isn't going to matter. And he even mentioned that he's, you know, come to like crawfish etouffee and grilled oysters down there in, in Louisiana. So he's a man of the people now. But just how much is cultural fit going to be a problem for Brian Kelly? Is this something that could trip him up throughout his LSU tenure? Or are we going to forget by October all about the fact that this guy's from Massachusetts and has never coached in the South throughout his long career? 
Well, I, I realized today, and I never thought I would say that, that I would have any this, that I have anything in common with Brian Kelly. But Crawfish Etouffee, it just doesn't get any better than that. And he seems to have the same thought after being in South Louisiana for a while. So I'll go along with him on that. Yeah, it's that was my initial reaction to him. It's not a good cultural fit. And, and then I, I thought about it a little more and I thought, well, what was I thinking? I mean, if you win, you could have said Nick Saban's not a good cultural fit for LSU. If you win, you're a good cultural fit. If you lose, you're not. Could there have been a better fit personality-wise, background-wise than Ed Orgeron? I mean, he's as South Louisiana as it gets. And even after winning a national championship and feeling one of the best teams ever, he became a bad cultural fit last year, and he's gone, no matter how much they had to pay him. So, yeah, I just don't think that will matter if he can win. It won't matter if he if his bad Southern accent might repel a few people. It's more apt to, but if he wins big, they will just look back on that and just chuckle about it. Oh, he was trying so hard for us to like him. And now we love him because he's winning. Yeah, I think the best argument against cultural fit, and and we've brought this up before on the podcast, and LSU athletic director Scott Woodward brought it up to me when I saw him down in Destin in June. He said, well... You know, the two two of the best coaches we've had in the SEC, I mean, you can go back like 20 years, are Nick Saban from West Virginia and Urban Meyer from Ohio. And I think that's the, the ultimate argument against, you know, cultural fit being the end-all, be-all in a coaching hire or, or even having an outsized place in a coaching hire is, you know, Nick Saban wasn't originally from here, Urban Meyer wasn't from here, and uh, they piled up successes you know, in a way that, that others have not throughout these, these past 20 years, saving over a longer tenure, of course. But obviously, Urban Meyer is, has a seat at that table, you know, in the number two spot, I think, of most successful coaches, albeit in a, in a shorter stint in the SEC here in the last couple decades. So yeah, it, to me, fits one of those things that it hurts struggling coaches. When you're in a situation like Brian Harson, and you need – a little extra leeway. I don't know if you ever get extra leeway, especially at Auburn. But, you know, when you need people to say like, ah, he seems like a nice guy. Let's, let's give him some more time. Let's, you know, seems like one of us. Let's see if this thing can work. I think then cultural fit can buy you maybe an extra season, maybe at least an extra few games. It's probably not going to save your job, but might keep you around a little longer. But ultimately you're going to be retained or fired based on your win-loss record, and cultural fit can only save you so long, I think. I think uh, social media has a part in this because fans get a very distant glimmer of coaches, maybe through their family or through their you know, wife or something or, or children or, or even their pets. And... <laughs> They may have a negative, it may strike them in a negative way. Like, well, they don't really fit in here. And, and it, it works against them if, if things aren't going, going well. To me, if I'm Brian, when you, you hire Brian Harson and bring him in from the Northwest, 
from Boise. Okay, he, he doesn't fit geographically, but he's a proponent of hard-nosed football. Now, you ought to be able to sell hard-nosed football in Alabama, in Auburn or with the Tide, wherever. But it just seems like the way the season went, when you go into a losing streak, all that's out the door. It doesn't matter. And it just, you're judged by your record. And then they can bring in, oh, yeah, and he's not a good cultural fit either. Why do we think somebody from the Northwest would work here? Mm -hmm. Even though he's a proponent of hard-nosed football, which we adhere to. That's true. I thought the other interesting thing that Brian Kelly said John was when he was asked about Notre Dame. I mean, you, you knew he was going to be asked about it, but not so much as Notre Dame exit. I thought what he said about Notre Dame's future was interesting because he said, you know, it's it's like a game of musical chairs going on right now in conference realignment and chairs are getting stripped away and there are fewer spots. And, and you all know that not everybody's going to get a chair to sit in when, when all is said and done. But what he said about Notre Dame was, got a feeling they're going to be okay regardless, whether that's independent or joining a conference, he said, Notre Dame's going to be fine when the dust settles here. And I tend to agree with that. I think when you swing as big a stick as, as Notre Dame is, like there's not, it's not like a window is closing of, ooh, you got you to gotta join a conference now or deal's going to be off the table. No, if Notre Dame six months from now, a year from now says, you know what, Big Ten, you know what, SEC, we've changed our mind. We don't want to be independent anymore. We want in. You know they're going to take them. And so Notre Dame's in a great spot when it comes to conference realignment. I think it's in a no-lose no situation. If it can find a future for itself financially to remain independent, that makes sense, fine. If it needs to join a conference, well, you know the Big Ten or the SEC would, would love to have them. Do you think there's any other school in that position where they should be feeling pretty pretty comfortable? Someone not in the SEC or the Big Ten, of course. Outside of Notre Dame, is there someone that should feel like, you know what, when all the dust settles here, we're going to be okay? I don't think there's anybody that you can compare with to Notre Dame. It's an island unto itself. And I I think it's some, if you, we go into super conferences, Notre Dame will end up in a super conference. But until we do that, as you said, it's okay going it alone for now. But at some point, it might have to make that move. But I can't think of anybody else. See, we talked about the ACC and the ACC having a problem um, with a weakened conference and all these other conferences gaining strength. You know, I always think, like, right now, Clemson is really good. I mean, it's won, it's won a couple of national championships in the last six years or so. Um, but... It, it's it's losing ground when you look at what's going on with the Big Ten and the SEC. But I just I don't think there's any program. Maybe Southern California with its tradition and its size and in that LA market, but it's already made a move. And so maybe Southern Cal said, "Hey, wouldn't say this publicly, but maybe is maybe it thought, you know, we're pretty good, but we're not Notre Dame." We're, we're not a national program. Notre Dame is the national program, and I just can't think of anybody else that, that really compares. I think that's right with Clemson. I mean, I think to me and you, they, they make a lot of sense for the SEC. They have for a long, long time, and they would into the future, but they just don't swing 
the same size of stick as, as Notre Dame does. They're not that national brand. Um, they don't bring along necessarily viewers from coast to coast, although they are certainly a, uh, a big time viewing product in South Carolina and throughout the South. But the other thing you wonder about, like if they are trapped by this grant of rights for a while, what if they taper off here in the next several years? You know, I would think if, if Clemson was on the market now, if they, if they could, if they could go anywhere they want and not have to worry about any of this contract stuff, I, I think Clemson could find a, a home that, that it feels pretty good about. But what if they, they fizzle out here a little bit, you know, if, if nothing happens for them now and, and they got to wait around for a while, are they still going to look as attractive, say five or six years down the road? I, hard to say, you know, maybe Dabo's still there and that Clemson machine is, is still rolling, but that's the thing about Notre Dame is you could wait five, 10 years. Notre Dame's still going to be attractive to whatever super conferences may be out there. Yeah. Notre Dame is all about history. It's Newt Rockney and win one for the Gipper. It's not, what have you done for me lately? When did, when is Notre Dame last won a national championship? 1980 something. Yeah, it beat. I actually covered the game. It beat West Virginia, and uh, won the national championship. I think it was in the '88 season, right? That that was under Lou Holtz. That was 34 years ago. I mean, Brian Kelly got it in a playoff, but in in none of those playoffs did you think Notre Dame's probably going to win this thing? But that doesn't matter. I mean, Notre Dame's games were being shown on, I, when I was a kid, Notre Dame, they would rerun the Notre Dame game on television. And I'm watching that in Louisiana and Notre Dame might be three and seven. It didn't matter. It's Notre Dame. Yeah. You mentioned that Notre Dame, the thing with it is it always has that history and tradition that's not going away. And the other thing Notre Dame can bank on is that there's a lot of Catholics that enjoy football and that's, you know, that's one thing that's always going to be making it marketable too, is Notre Dame's got fans around the country and, uh, you know, because of the background of the the school and it's, it's Catholic faith. I mean, that's, that's not going to go away. And, uh, as I said, there, there's a whole lot of Notre Dame fans in different parts of the country that maybe Notre Dame fans cause they're Catholic and they like football and, and that's their team and that's not going to change anytime soon. Do you, we, we started this conversation, John, talking about Sankey's comments and sort of downplaying the Big Ten expansion, saying the SEC is not panicking. They're not going to react just because the Big Ten's making a move. Do you think he's being naive, though, or maybe naive is not the right word, but I guess overly downplaying the effect of the Big Ten's editions of, of USC and Southern Cal. We've established it's it doesn't trump the editions of Oklahoma and, and Texas, but do you think he's at risk of being a little naive of, hey, you might have another force threatening to take your, your throne here, particularly if they could you know, get Notre Dame in the fold? I, I don't think he's being naive. He's staying in the present right now. And what he's saying plays okay in the present. It's saying, we don't really care what anybody else does. We're still the better league. And he's right. And if 
the Big Ten wants to go add somebody from a far-flung place, it can go get away. We don't care. It can spread all over the globe. But we're still going to have the best league. And that's what he's saying. But I just think that could change quickly, and Notre Dame could change it quickly. If And, and another factor, we talked about this earlier, but with the Big 12, what if the Big 12 just starts going for numbers and becomes the Big 20? And you say, well, it's not as good as the Big 10. It's not as good as the SEC. But it's getting in a lot of markets, and it it's kicked geography out the door. It, it doesn't even acknowledge geography. I mean, the, the new addition, Central Florida, uh, uh, Houston, BYU, it's, it, it's all over the place. But they play some pretty good football at, at these schools. And if it can add even more, I think the Big 12, the Big 12 has an upside here, I think, if it can capitalize on it and act quickly. I think that exists. I don't see that outlet for the ACC, but I see it for the Big 12. And what if it goes up to 20 teams? Does that force the Big 10 and SEC to add more? Yeah, I think the the bottom line here, I guess, or the, the moral of the story is that Greg Sankey's not wrong when he says there's there's no need to panic. He's not wrong when he says there's no need to add just to add. However, and I think Sankey would agree with this, the SEC has to remain vigilant. It has to keep the door open to opportunities. And if there's a move that makes sense and is going to grow the might uh, of this of this conference, then you pounce. You don't you don't sit on your hands and and say we're content at 16, but you say we're confident as a 16 team league. And and if the opportunity arises, that makes sense for us to grow. Or if, or if the conference needs to grow, you know, in response of say the big 10 adding Notre Dame, well, then you, then you pounce um, and you make sure that you you don't lose your, your foothold. Yeah, I agree. And, And you look back at some of the additions the SEC's made, all the attention is on Oklahoma and Texas, two powerhouse programs, even though Texas has been down a while in football, but they're good in a lot of different sports. Well, t- the SEC's previous additions weren't comparable, comparable to that. I mean, South Carolina and Missouri or even Arkansas, they weren't comparable to those. So they e- the SEC easily could add a program as strong as those others, Oklahoma State to me would be would be an upgrade based on recent history. So, and I'm really pushing those Cowboys. I, I know you love that wrestling program. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would. I mean, I would swap Missouri for Oklahoma State in a heartbeat. Well, maybe we can arrange uh, a few of those swaps at a, at a later episode, John. But for now, we're going to leave it there, and we'll be back with you in a couple days' time uh, to unpack some more from what we're hearing at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. For now, thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. <laughs>